gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, uh, a pastor called the home of one of his members and a little quiet voice answered, hello. The pastor asked, who is this? There was a little whisper at the other end. This is Jimmy. Jimmy is four years old. So the pastor asked Jimmy, can I speak with your dad, please? Jimmy said, no, he's busy. Well, then can I speak with your mom? No, she's busy too. Well, Jimmy, is there anyone else I can speak with? The policeman. Can you put the policeman on the phone? No, they're busy. Is there anyone else I can speak with, Jimmy? The fireman. Well, could you please put a fireman on the phone? No, they're all busy. Well, Jimmy, what are they busy doing? Looking for me. Now, my friends, when it comes to the subject of stewardship, some Christians go missing like Jimmy. Years ago, I remember someone, a member, who would be faithful in attendance throughout the year, but when it came to the few stewardship Sundays we did, that member would never be here. Such people, in my mind, don't really understand the God whom we worship, and I wonder if they even know him. Whenever the Bible speaks of giving, it always speaks of God giving to us. That's always the context. And notice in your second reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, our sermon text inside your bulletin, notice I've emphasized, I've bold-faced all of the words for grace. Even in verse 4, the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, that word privilege is the word for grace. Grace is privilege. It's being privileged in some way. And then I've underlined the words for overflowing. And everywhere there's an underline, you could substitute the word overflow or overflowing because that's how God gives. That's the nature of God. He doesn't just give a little. He gives much, much more than we need. Roman number one in your outline. Wherever Jesus is, there is an overflow. There's an overflow. I don't think the word abundance covers it, but overflowing. That's characteristic of Jesus. That's his M.O. That's how he works. You know, when they're out of wine at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, Jesus makes more. He tells them to fill these large stone pots holding 20 to 30 gallons each. There's six of them. Fill them up to the brim. And the water becomes wine. More. Far more than they need. When Jesus is with people in the wilderness and he's teaching them, he provides food. And there's leftovers. 
not like Moses in the wilderness with the manna where there's just enough. No, with Jesus, there's far more than is required. And in John 10, our Lord would say, you know, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, to overflowing, same word. This is God. This is His giving to us is extravagant. It is over the top. It always is. And this had been foretold in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel. Joel looks forward to the age of the Messiah. He looks forward to the coming of Jesus. And this is how he describes it. He describes it in terms the people back then could relate to. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and with oil. And St. Paul writes this in Romans 15. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound or overflow in hope. Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. It overflows, you see. That's Christ at work. He doesn't just give. He gives to excess, to overflowing. And we see that in our text for today from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, the context here is this. Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth seeking to raise money for the saints in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother church of all Christianity. It's from Jerusalem. They're all the missionaries, all the apostles and evangelists have gone forth from. And the saints in Jerusalem are suffering. Number one, there's a famine in the land. There's a famine throughout Judea. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. And not only that, but the Christians there are being persecuted by the Sanhedrin. They're being driven out of Jerusalem. They're being impoverished. And so there's this great need. And so Paul's going from church to church, collecting money, and he's writing the Corinthians to do the same, to send this offering to the saints in Jerusalem. And he uses the Macedonian churches as an example when he writes to the Corinthians. Verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Roman numeral two, notice this, grace overflows from our afflictions. Grace overflows from our severe trials. Now, God gives generously in every circumstance. He gives generously whether we're undergoing severe trial or affliction or not. But in our affliction, his giving is especially extravagant. That's the point. In the valley of the shadow of death where the psalmist is, his cup runs over. It's overflowing because of the Lord's gracious presence. So God's always giving, but in the affliction, he's giving even more. That's the point. Letter A, no one expected the Macedonians to give. Notice in verse 4, 
they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Apparently, Paul, because of the Macedonians and their extreme circumstances, and I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but they've undergone persecution as well. They're also, according to what I've read, Macedonia, of course, it's a Roman province now, and the taxation laid upon them was so severe that it impoverished them. So they're impoverished from taxation, and they are undergoing severe persecution as well. So not just the saints in Jerusalem are experiencing persecution, but the Macedonians are also. And so Paul apparently was going to give them a pass. He wasn't going to ask them to contribute to this offering. So they had to plead for the opportunity to participate. They had to beg in order to give. They did not want to be left out. Letter B, they gave voluntarily. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Entirely on their own they gave. And that's symptomatic of all giving in the Bible. It's always voluntary. It's never coerced. Several of us uh, from our congregation were visiting this past week with Reverend Jeff Robinson. Uh, he's our district mission exec. And uh, Reverend Robinson was sharing a story about a previous congregation he had served. And one of the members said, uh, Pastor, I pay my tax, keep my son on the membership rolls. Okay. Apparently the son had moved out of state had not found a church home. That's not unusual, right? And so the man said, I pay my tax. In other words, I give to the church. Now, how do you like that for an attitude? Tax. I mean, what's the difference between a tax and a gift? See, a tax is imposed on you. You don't have a choice. Why well, suppose you could not pay it, but then you pay stiff consequences? A gift is freely given. It's up to you whether you give or not. It's your choice. See, that's, that's the difference. Good Christian people ought not to speak that way about giving to the Lord. I'm sure I've said worse things than that about giving. There are still times in my life it's not unusual for me struggle with the idea of giving. Why do we Christians tend to view giving so negatively? Why? It's because we view it as an obligation and not as a voluntary activity. We, we view it as a tax that must be paid, as a demand that's being placed upon us, and I don't know about you, but I don't like demands. We view it that way rather than as a gift which we may choose to give or not. And if we feel any pressure to give here at Grace Lutheran, I suspect the pressure is self-imposed. We rarely talk about stewardship. I mean, if I err, I err on that side. And I'm not proud of it either. But if there's any pressure that you feel to give, I think it's coming from inside yourself. Certainly not from me. 
My friends, it is our sinful nature that rebels at the thought of giving anything voluntarily. Have you ever noticed that? You know, we, we come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't give right now. Well, I can't afford it right now. Or I give my time to the Lord so I can skip the money. As if both don't come from the Lord. Or I have so many causes I give to, there's not a lot left over for the church. My friends, the Spirit of God living in me does not speak that way. My fleshly nature, my sinful nature, always speaks that way. But that sinful nature need not rule in our hearts any longer. We have the Spirit of the living God in each of us by virtue of our baptism and our faith in Jesus. And that sinful spirit, that fleshly spirit, was certainly not governing the hearts of the Macedonian Christians. Letter C, they were rich, not in gifts, but in joy and generosity. Number one, their joy was not in their material wealth, but in their privileged position. In their privileged position. Number two, privilege, this is the worldly definition, an advantage over others. You're born into white privilege or something like that, see? This is a worldly definition of of privilege. A biblical definition is a disadvantage with respect to others. You're at a disadvantage. A good example of this is just a little later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger from Satan to buffet him. That's how he described it. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was painful. He prayed three times for God to remove it. I would too. I'd probably pray more than three times. What did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. And that grace, by the way, includes the thorn. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness. In other words, God does his greatest work when we are least able to work. Someone may give a large amount of money because they can easily afford it, and that's a good thing. We make good use of large gifts around here. But the greatest gifts in God's eyes are much smaller in amount and are given by those who can least afford to do so. God looks not at the amount given, but the willingness that accompanies the gift. Of all the churches giving to the relief of the mother church in Jerusalem, the Macedonians were in the most privileged position of all. They were in the best position to give in an extraordinary way. Not because they had a lot of wealth, but because they had much willingness. My friends, the most important time to give is when you are least able to do so. That's the most strategic time. That's when your giving stands out. You see, God God has taken the honor and the prestige of giving away from the wealthy, and he's placed that honor into the hands who can least afford to do the giving. He honors them and their gifts above the gifts of any others because he honors not the amount, but the willingness. Extraordinary giving is is the domain of those least able to give. That's heroism. 
That's courage. That is faith. And that's Jesus. Roman numeral three. Christ's poverty is the source, his poverty is the source of our abundance. It's the source of our overflow. Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. My friends, when Jesus hung on the cross, he had nothing, not even clothing. The poor widow in our gospel lesson, giving her two small copper coins, she at least had the clothes on her back. Jesus did not have that. And I'm sure many men were crucified under the Romans in the days of Jesus, but not willingly. I know of no one who chose crucifixion except Jesus. He engineered his own death. He brings about his own impoverishment. And, and the point is, he intentionally gives up everything so that we might possess all that is his. Letter A, Luther calls this the joyous exchange. The joyous exchange. Everything that belonged to Christ, meaning his righteousness, his holiness, his eternal life, his spirit, everything that he possesses now belongs to me. Everything that belonged to me, or used to belong to me, my sinfulness, my condemnation, now belongs to Christ. Your sin no longer belongs to you. Christ owns it. Your selfishness has been charged to Christ's account, not to yours. Instead of your selfishness being charged to your account, his charity, his righteousness, his liberality, it's all credited to you through your faith in him. That's the joyous exchange. That's the heart of the gospel. Letter B. Therefore, our abundance is spiritual. It's relational. We have a relationship with him that our failure will not annul. It's based on his faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to him. As St. Paul wrote, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Remember that when your children wander from the Lord. The Lord does not give up on them, and he does not give up on you or me, thank God. Our abundance is spiritual, it's relational and eternal. It's not material and temporary. Now, he certainly gives us all that we need to support this body and life. He gives us the resurrection body in the world to come. These material things pass away. The relationship does not, you see. It's a far greater value. Letter C. Our afflictions, our sufferings, are our privileges. God is always giving to us. Regardless of the health we're experiencing at the moment, 
whether we're undergoing a severe trial or whether we experience a life of ease, God is always giving to us. Affliction simply pro provides the opportunity to do extraordinary things. That's it. And so Paul makes the mistake of overlooking the Macedonian Christians when it came to giving. But they would not allow themselves to be overlooked. They not only gave, they gave in a way that nobody else could. Therefore, let no one here today say, well, there's nothing I can do. Let nobody here today say, I have nothing to give. No. God has taken the honor and privilege of giving away from the wealthy, and he has given it to those who can least afford to do so. He honors them and their gifts above the gifts of any others because he honors not the amount being given, but the willingness that accompanies it. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We confess together the good news. In the words of the Nicene Creed, page 158, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and sits at the right, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for those who have gone before us, those who have fallen asleep in the faith. We lift up those who grieve and mourn, especially we remember Tim Nierman and his family as they mourn the passing of Tim's mother, Lucille. Dear God, we thank you for her faith. We thank you for the faith you've given to Tim and to his family. Sustain them by this faith, knowing that Christ has died and he has risen for our justification. 
comfort us with the truth that we shall see our loved ones again. Lord, in your mercy. Dear Lord God, we give you thanks for the joyous exchange that you've brought about through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we always take comfort, no matter what the day may bring, we can take comfort in your unchanging love for us. And may that overflowing grace move us to give generously as we have been given to. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our staff here at Grace, for our office manager, our deaconess, our deaconess intern, our music director. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for our bookkeeper. Sustain us all as we seek to serve faithfully. We thank you as well for the work of our altar guild, for our International Friendship Center volunteers, those who maintain our Grace Library also. We thank you, dear God. Sustain us in our giving. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you as well for those who are helping with our fall festival. Today, bless that effort, we ask. And I pray, dear God, that every member and friend of this congregation will encounter you daily in your holy word. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we lift up persecuted Christians in India, also persecuted Muslims. And the nation of India is becoming increasingly a powder keg of persecution. Hindu nationalism is ascendant, and the government often stands by doing nothing while Christians and Muslims are harmed. We pray, come to the aid of those in need. May we remember them in prayer. And we pray, turn the hearts of those who would do harm. May they have open ears and opportunity to hear the good news of your love for them and for all people. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for this nation. That you'll bless our leaders. Enable us to find unity, not in political advocacy, but in the gospel. May your spirit move across this great land. May we all faithfully share and proclaim this good news. Turn hearts everywhere toward you and enable us to be faithful stewards of all that you've given we pray, Lord, for those seeking employment, for those struggling with indebtedness. Come to the aid of those in need and employ us to do the same. Lord, in your mercy. And dear Lord God, we lift up all who seek healing. We mention Ruth Boxman, who will undergo surgery this week, surgery on her back. We pray for successful surgery for Ruth. We lift up as well Barb and Jay. We pray for Chloe recovering from surgery. We lift up Tammy, Bruce, Marilyn, Vivian, Pam, Terry, Marianne. Father, pour out your healing presence 
upon these your servants. Restore, renew, strengthen as only you are able. Grant healing, we pray, according to your merciful will. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Lord, in your mercy, into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.